0: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: I feel like there is no shadow of doubt that I need to take this step find out where you want to go, find out your core principles, and take an action, take a step in that direction of where you want to go.
2: Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview
0: commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of
2: the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Johnny Nelson. Johnny is joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota, He is the principal at Arctos Capital, which focuses on multifamily assets. Johnny is an apartment owner, operator, and real estate fund manager. His portfolio consists of being a GP on 49 units and an LP of 70 units. Johnny, thank you for joining us. And how are you today?
1: Whoop, whoop. Hey, man. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. And I read, I'm following, obviously, Joe Fairless's group and you guys for quite a while. You guys are quite the name brand. And it's really excited to be finally have a, a slot here on the show.
2: Great to hear and great to have you here. Johnny, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
1: For sure, man. So my family moved up to Alaska when I was a teen and we basically launched right into starting a general contracting business. And during that time, I was a bit of a personal story, probably some background too, why I kind of got into the space, but there's a tie in here. So bear with me. The custom homes, back home, that's kind of what we did. And I got tired of that and kind of went back to a mechanical engineer for the last number of years or so, but kind of all woven into that, my dad got sick and he eventually passed away from a brain tumor. But seeing that, we kind of embedded this desire to really have financial freedom and also be able to pay, I guess, for my family or my friend's medical expenses. So that's kind of been like this underlying motivation for why would I step from a contractor and as an engineer and now full-time as an investor, as a fund manager, why I'm so passionate about the space and the opportunities within that.
2: Yeah. Sorry to hear about your dad. So engineers, in my experience, make some of the best real estate investors ever because they put a lot of systems in place. What systems do you have in place? I love
1: systems, man. Uh, I actually spent time literally as a process development engineer a a couple of years ago. So basically we would set up these lines for medical devices, stuff that goes in the human body. So we'll have to be pretty careful. Documentation, machines, fixtures, jigs, instructions to people and all these kinds of things. So I really am about the processes. So as far as, I guess, where it comes to my own system, a lot of just automation. There's lots and lots of automations out there. There's Calendly. There's integrations between Zoom and the active campaign. And when you have people coming into your portal or into your network, you want to have those things automatically filtered correctly. And then you want to have those flagged correctly. So really, I think a lot of people are aware that they're out there and a lot of the savvy investors are using these things, I guess, in this kind of this virtual digital infrastructure is what I call it space. They have those set up correctly, but there's always someone smarter that could even optimize it even further. So never stop learning, but always really, really take advantage of all these Sometimes free, but oftentimes you pay for a, a reasonable charge, as I would say, for some of these digital integrations across all the calendars and other kinds of things you use on the daily in this space, particularly.
2: Johnny, let's go back to when you had that epiphany and you knew you wanted time freedom, you wanted your financial freedom for you and your family. What were your next steps?
1: It kind of opened up to me. A friend just suggested, I was actually an engineering colleague. He said, hey, I'm house hacking. And I didn't mean to allude that I knew what I wanted to do right from the get-go when I became, you know, when I was a contractor or an engineer, I was just like, oh, this is just, just stuff I'm doing. And these things appeal to me. And then it opened my eyes and I know 95% of everybody says this, but I, I did read Richard and Poor Dad, the purple book. And he also said that I think it was kind of like either concurrent or shortly thereafter. And then I realized there was other ways of getting there and it wasn't just me with my insurance. It was actually, there's this alternate way of scaling way beyond anything that I had even conceived. Like I literally didn't even think this, that there was other ways, like re- you could retire early or have passive income
2: and do some amazing things. You were just going to do the corporate route where you're working until 65, get a pension, do your thing. <laughs> For sure. Um, about, yeah. <laughs> so what was your journey into real estate? After reading I, the book after educating yourself.
1: Right. 2019 kicked off there bought my first house ever in 2017 i didn't have a plan to actually real estate invest like well i'm gonna buy a house and then i got married shortly thereafter and we did leverage that into we remodeled it and, and added a room in the bedroom and, and then rented it out but really kind of our first investment property kind of the start of a zero line would be duplex here in minneapolis that's really kind of the first property that i would say that was the starting line and then what was the next step I'll just take one paragraph back. So after the colleague engaged with me, he's like, hey, I'm doing this house hacking thing. So I was like, well, what is that? And he kind of explained it to me. And then I dove deep into podcasts, which one of them was the best ever podcast. One of them was Gino podcast. One of them was Bigger Pockets. That was really profound you know, influence. And depending on where you go within the podcast domain, you learn obviously different things. So that was kind of the foundation. That was kind of my education. A lot of us like to learn, a lot of us are educated folk anyway, so we're not strange to it. So that was my undergrad in real estate education was, hey, how does this work? Who do you talk to? And I started also, like everyone else does, going to meetups and tracking out all the best Facebook groups and the meetup and all those kinds of things just online too. So I'm constantly having all this content come at me and trying to insert myself in the space.
2: What was your next purchase?
1: I was another duplex. And after that, I could step through it quickly. And you know? so I was like, it was another duplex, and then a single family home. And then we did an out-of-state flip, which was kind of like a family help, but also tried to make an investment out of it. And then a fourplex and then a 40 unit.
2: And what's your next step?
1: Next step in my current journey right now? Correct. Sure. I can elaborate on this just real briefly, but after seeing how difficult it was to raise on a good deal here in Minneapolis, and there's folks out there that they get pushback that were from Texas or Arizona. like, oh, I don't know about Minneapolis. I see things in the news, this, that, and the other. I'm like, okay, fair enough. But the deal is pretty good. It's brand new. And I got it under contract for a good price. And I know many people have said this, but it's like, oh, when you find a good deal, you know, the money's going to show up. I, was, I had to learn it the hard way, but I, I kind of suspected that might happen anyway. The money didn't show up. So it was very difficult to raise for. We did do it. We did close on it. But that kind of opened my eyes. I think think there's a real need in the community to focus in the capital raising space. And I know there's lots of people doing the capital space too, kind of focusing within that. So that's kind of where I'm pivoting now. Starting a fund, quote what they call an emerging fund manager. And the fund will be focused in multifamily assets, 100 unit plus and growth markets across the US and, and other assets too that are more opportunistic.
2: All right, Johnny, help me understand this. So you had a difficult time raising funds and now that's all you want to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's kind of my nature, man. These career pivots, like where's the hardest thing? I have this, it's probably kind of an inbred thing where when it's hard, where I know it's uncomfortable, I turn towards that and I grow and go into it even harder and deeper. Before I coming out of high school whatever, and started building in Alaska, I really didn't know how to build. And I just kind of like, Hey, I, I tell people I could do it, even though I didn't know how to do it. I challenged myself to go back to school as an engineer, not because I was so good at math or because school is easy because it was hard for me. And again, it's not to sound full of myself. That's truly what I do. And I think the same kind of philosophy appeared to that. Like, why this is so hard. I see the asymmetric return on time and also the ability to really create my dream and other dream too. And then sound to you probably beneath that, you would say that the driving force of being able to support my family for these realistically, astronomically high medical bills. Could I be part of that? And basically not being afraid to just plunge into that, even though it was hard, seeing that, that was a path to that. I think that encouraged me and I just went for it.
2: I've got a buddy who, if you say, I bet you can't, he'll find a way to get it done. Is that a similar (laughs) trait to what's in you?
1: I think it is. I never have confronted that idea quite so many directly, but I think there is something that's subconscious where I chase after that, which is the hardest to me.
2: Awesome. I want to dive into that deal that you said was difficult to raise on. It was a great deal, but you couldn't raise the funds. Can we dive into the numbers and what the asset was?
1: Absolutely, man. It was a 40 unit deal and it was a new build. I was not expecting within the multifamily group that I was part of, as a lot of the groups they teach what they know. So I was like B and C class, value add type of thing. That's what I was looking for. I was underwriting a lot of deals here in Minneapolis. Then I found this one deal and I called up the guy. We actually did a direct to seller campaign. That's how we got connected initially. We kind of hit it off just over the phone like, hey, you want to come out and visit it? And we got out of contract, shortening up the story here. And then we did the webinar, we had the, all the, uh, the docs and all that stuff signed up and we're pitching it, this, that, and the other. And just, again, just the investor base that was out there was just a, kind of a little reluctant to go into Minneapolis. Again, that was back in 2021. We had the George Floyd riots and other things probably still fresh in people's minds. So all that just kind of colored the deal. There was enough people that had a negative connotation and the kind of reluctance
2: to not go full in on the deal. Knowing what you know now, what could you have done differently?
1: This thing, it's always frustrating, but also you want to like yell at yourself, but then like, well, I can't start it any sooner than I started. So that's uh, something I wish I would have started sooner. I wish I would have started real estate investing 10 years ago. I wish I would have started growing my investor base at the same time. And it's one of those things like if you don't start sometime, then the clock doesn't start. Kind of again, that thing that thought of the zero line and moving forward into it. So I knew there was a chance our investor base wasn't large enough and it was true. However, we did get the deal on because we found some partners within our group and they brought some 1031 money and we all put capital in and there was some additional 1031. So even though it was difficult, it was not impossible. I guess that's really the lesson. If you don't take action, you don't start down the road, then you know, failure because you're not doing it is for sure. But even though it's challenging, we still got through it. We still got the deal done. So, yes, I wish it was more streamlined and more like this thing of like we talked about that as an engineer. I wish it was more a precise process and it all rolled out per expectation. But that didn't happen, but it did get done in the end anyway.
2: Good. I'm glad you got the deal done. What were the returns on that deal? I mean, it's a new build, so there's no reno. It's just pure cash flow. What were the we're returns still, to investors? Yeah,
1: Basically, we took it all in-house. We started the syndication, but then we just went to a JV. So it's really kind of in the startup mode yeah. So frankly, there are no returns yet. We're still kind of working on leasing up and all that kind of thing because we closed at, a, at, the be- at the end of last year. So okay. I haven't re- realized the returns, but I mean, what I know your,
2: because it's good. Well, sorry. What was your pitch to investors in terms of returns? It was traditional. It was an 8% preferred.
1: We were in the high teens for IRR. So not that much different than a lot of folks. We anticipated actually probably higher than that because the lack of CapEx, you know, because it was brand new deal. So I was like, we know this is going to be a home run. But yeah, that's what the target was. It was achievable.
2: And after investors fund the deal, you close on it. How much time lapses before they start getting their preferred return?
1: We were anticipating around a nine month delay. Nine months to a year is what we anticipated. And then followed by maybe even 18 month refi. That was the business plan.
2: All right. It seems attractive enough. How many people did you have on your investor list at the time?
1: We had like 35 or 40, which sounds really light as I say that right now. And I think 25 showed up for the webinar and there was some interest. So we'd hoped that our kind of a curated investor base was you know, sufficiently educated and kind of knew what was going on there. I guess we anticipated a high percentage of those people that were in that group would be investing. And just by chance, other things going on and reluctance, this, that, and the other. We have maybe three or 400K of soft commits at most.
0: We'll get back to the show. with But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliance experience team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. Investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self storage investing. Visit passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's passiveinvesting.com forward
2: slash red flags. What was the purchase price and what was the raise amount?
0: A little over five and a half million.
1: And the raise, I think we were targeting about 1.2 to one and a half million.
2: And again, you had 30 or so investors. Why didn't that deal get done? Better yet, what could you have done, hindsight is twenty twenty. to get that deal done?
1: If we were going to follow a path that was predictable from the beginning, like, okay, we have this investor base, we have this deal, present the deal, and then the group is going to self-select where they want to invest. So it's Minneapolis, it's a new deal, they know it's got to be leased up, it's not cash flowing from day one. There's certainly some criteria that wouldn't fit everybody. I know for a fact, though, if I had maybe a couple hundred investors, there would be enough people in that investor base to fund the deal. So again, just time. Again, if you want predictability, you want a repeatable process, grow that passive investor base. It's just numbers. Some percentage of those people will be interested in a deal that matches the criteria, that wants to be in a new build, that can wait for cash flow, that can et cetera, et cetera, and can stick with you.
2: Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. I think it's a great lesson you shared because I know a lot of the best ever listeners probably have gone through that where they try to raise for a deal. It just doesn't work out. But instead of walking away find a way to salvage that deal, partner with somebody. Even if you have to give the deal away for a small percentage of equity or even a finder's fee, find a way to make it a win for you.
1: That's such a great comment, Ash. We had that attitude actually four or five times. I can turn like, hey, the deal's dead. Yeah, there's no way you can recover from this. And we had the attitude. I, I didn't specifically, this will be our credibility deal. This deal will be the one that gets us the first notch, the belt or the hat or whatever you want to call it, the knife. And this is going to be number one here. So I was so determined to not lose the deal and it ended up very favorably, but to your point, kind of the high level point of finding a way there was just like a mental stealiness here in the team that was not going to let it go.
2: Yeah. Okay. So let's move forward. And instead of saying this sucks and I'm just going to outsource the capital raising, you took it upon yourself to focus on that. What steps have you taken to focus on capital raising?
1: Absolutely, man. So as I said, that's kind of the goal of my next venture really is starting a fund. And really a fund is all about partnering sponsors with past investors. And you are essentially the business of providing these past investors with the knowledge, the expertise and the relationships of finding the best deals across the US, really. So I'm a part of a fund group, like a multifamily group. I paid quite a bit of money to get into these groups. I've invested in some systems and right now I'm going through a rebranding. I have my own podcast. So really it's the advertising, the focus on getting these past investors and getting the word out. And of course, finding your avatar. My avatar is a, an engineer, similar to me, uh, older, more successful, but also doesn't even know about these things. So finding an avatar, putting the systems in place, getting your message out there and really focusing on growing that business is kind of the, the things that we all know that need to be done. But maybe some of us don't have the time or you rush the process too much. And maybe we don't have an option. Like I'm going to start this come hell or high water. I'm going to make it happen. So yeah, just time going by, it gets investors in your court and they know about you and your deals.
2: And Johnny, when you raise money for other people's deals, how do you get paid?
1: So we're at the beginning of that process right now. So basically, very simply, it's kind of the fund to fund models. It, some people know about it, some not, but more or less, when you bring enough capital to a sponsor, to an operator, oftentimes somebody's running syndication, you're bringing enough capital where it's worth your while. So maybe their buy-in, their minimum commitment is hundred thousand. Maybe the fund will bring a, a million or 2 million and that relieves them. of having to deal with 20 more individuals, 20 more people. So when it's worth your while, when you're saving them money, saving them time, not to have to connect with all these additional people then they can turn around and offer you a preferred or a special share class. So maybe they, most deals, most indications or 8% preferred return. They can offer it to my fund at 10% or maybe even more. And oftentimes, not always, sometimes the returns can actually be better, the very least equal to, or even better sometimes whether they went directly into the syndication or go through the fund route. So it's a very really powerful deal where I can kind of focus on what I enjoy. That's raising the capital and really focusing on those business relationships. And also I can alleviate the stress and the struggle of sponsors trying to raise all that money. And the, the returns to the investors are still equal to, or again, better in some cases as going directly into the syndication.
2: So do you have free reign to disperse to your investors what you see fit?
1: Yes. Again, I don't want to talk ahead of myself or suggest that I'm further ahead than I am, but absolutely as the founder, I'm bringing on some other high-level talent as well here, but absolutely you can, within the group, yes, you have to keep in, in light the best for the fund, but also we have the ability to exit or participate in deals as deals exit or come on board and to have full control over there as well.
2: So for example, if you suggested to your investors yes. <laughs> that they would get an 8% preferred return and the PREF goes up to 10 either due to the syndicator hitting a home run or you just negotiating a better deal, can you do what you want with the excess capital? Do you have to distribute it or can you use it as you see fit?
1: We'd set it up as we would see fit. And I would hope that we'd be able to basically give bonuses. And I just like that because- my focus Ash, is not to jump right. Cause there's a lot of people in the fund space and they just, they just want to jump right over what some call the missing middle. And that's your successful professionals could be engineers, managers, entrepreneurs, all these people. And they just want to just go right to the family offices to the 401ks and just take those really, really big checks. I'm really super passionate about providing access to these kinds of deals through the fund model. So that's why I think it's really cool. So if you do get like a windfall, I absolutely want to have that in my legal docs, essentially, that's the, where that would be kind of spelled out to be able to share that windfall with my investors. So I know yeah. that a lot of hand waving and, and like just suggestions because like, legal docs aren't done, but because it's kind of the ethos, it's kind of the core fabric of what I'm trying to achieve here. I'm really passionate about that. I want to somehow which would be up to the lawyers to give the right language to enable that.
2: Well, I could see enabling that, but on the flip side, you're allowed to take as much as you want to pay yourself and your team.
1: You could, but you're also spelling out, you start out with a foundation. And then again, if you incorporate, yes, if you have a huge windfall, the GP would be rewarded handsomely. But also if you incorporate, if we exceed X level return, and I guess it depends like who you're bringing on your team. Like, am I deeply money motivated? I'm not. I'm super excited about this stuff. I'm very passionate about building and family. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, kind of the core underlying values. So if there's opportunity in there to spread extra hunk of cheese, like, yeah, you know, let's let's do it.
2: Johnny, right now, are you a one-man operation?
1: Yes. My wife actually has been tremendous resource and, and backup and support, but she's still working for Wells Fargo, essentially. And as the operation grows, I, I know for sure we'll team up full-time, but in you know, a fledgling enterprise, one of us has to keep the lights on.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned bringing on talent. What do you envision your team looking like?
1: I would love to have a person that's been raising capital for 20 years, Again, no one's going to just say, this is my job, at least initially. I'm not going to do anything else. We're all going to be investor relationship managers. We're all going to be raising capital. We're all going to be tapping our resources for the best deals. But people have a core focus. They will have their zone of genius which is a which is kind of like popular term lately. So I envision someone raising capital for 10 years and they have a nice Rolodex and they can raise 20, 30 or 40 million bucks. I see someone that has been deep in the investment banking space. That is an awesome person at structuring deals and has deep connections to could be, you know, wall street or banks and, and deal structures. Those are the kinds of people that I'm working on to bring on
2: my team. Awesome. Johnny, what is your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: Take action in the direction where you want to go, because you never will have the clarity, at least to the engineering mind or the, the analytical mind. You know, I'm just going to speak from my own experience and to be fully satisfied and feel like there is no shadow of doubt that I need to take this step and find out where you want to go, find out your core principles and take an action, take a step in that direction of where you want to go.
2: Johnny, are you ready for the best ever lightning round?
1: I am ready for the best ever lightning round. Ash. All
2: right. What's <laughs> the best ever book you recently read?
1: Oh my gosh, I've been reading so many good ones lately. I saw that question coming up here. So probably people have been hit throwing this one out there, but I still like it is Who Not How. I really do love that book. And I think it speaks directly to kind of something we've been talking about right here on the show. Of uh, Yes, eventually you uh, are, whatever, whatever we're doing, you could eventually probably learn all these things and run around like a crazy person. But these people that are so much better most of these things in you. Let them do that. Participate. Give them the equity. Give them whatever they need to participate, and you're going to grow so much faster and scale so much quicker.
2: Yeah, it's a hard concept to understand for a lot of people, but it's an absolute game changer. Johnny, what's the best ever way you like to give back?
1: Basically, just direct donations to our church, and my wife encourages a lot to you. There's a local organization; uh, it's it's around. I uh, feed my starving children, so it's time donated to packing food for kids that are around the world that are less fortunate. So that's an awesome way to give back. Those are the top two. Johnny, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? That would be fantastic. So LinkedIn is kind of my name of the game there for me. Um, I'm also on Facebook. So it's arctoscapital.com, And also you just go out to Johnny Nelson on LinkedIn and I'm there as well. And I have a podcast too, which I should throw out there. That's the investing stuff you should know podcast. I'd love you to take a listen, write a written review and give it five stars. Meet me out there.
2: Awesome. And it was A-R-C-T-O-S, capital. Johnny, thank you again, man, for sharing your story today. I love how you took something that initially didn't work well and didn't seem to like it, but you made it. Your forte, your focus on what you're doing moving forward. So great inspiration. Thanks for sharing the lesson on how that first raise didn't work out, but you salvaged that deal and made it into a win. Thank you for your time today.
1: Absolutely. Man. It was a delight sharing that. And I hopefully inspire someone and I look forward to hearing back from some of the people out there.
2: Awesome. Johnny, thank you again. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe and have a best ever day.